When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Off The Bench with Scott Sattler and Jason Matthews, the show that covers all things NRL. Yeah, welcome to it. Another week of Off The Bench, the best of sports day. Sats and I this week were joined by Titus O'Reilly, author of Cheat, but also the podcast Sports Bazaar with Mick, uh, Mick Malloy, fantastic podcast about some of the most bizarre moments in world sport where cheating occurred. Uh, look for it wherever you get your podcast from. We'll talk to Titus about that podcast. Crash Craddock uh, joined us uh, as we talked about all issues around cricket and sponsorship this week. Chris Nelson previews a big weekend of racing in southeast Queensland, but we kicked off the week uh, with a live cross to the UK to catch up with one of the great rugby league callers with the Rugby League World Cup well and truly underway, Andrew Voss. This man's got a pretty good life going on at the moment. Although he's he's about the only bloke working, I think, in the UK. I, I've seen every other journalist over there at soccer matches, dining out, a lot of tourist. They're doing Attractions a lot of touristy well, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Andrew Voss from uh, Breakfast with uh, Vossie and Brandy on SCN, and also uh, the best rugby league caller in the country. You can hear him on Fox. Vossie, thanks for joining us on Sports Day. Uh, good morning, boys. Yeah, no, head, head's still spinning. I've got to be honest. No, I, I saw the pictures of blokes at Old Trafford yesterday, but um, from the moment I flew in on Thursday UK time, around about lunchtime, after 30 hours of travel into a breakfast show that night, uh, back Australian time, into three hours of train travel to Newcastle the next day, attend gala dinner, into getting to see both matches on Saturday here, which was quite an effort to go from Newcastle be there for the opening, which was just fantastic, apart from the pre-match entertainment disaster, and then get to Leeds for the kickoff for the Australian game, um, into going to Warrington last night to call New Zealand and Lebanon. Seriously, guys, my, my, as I said, my head is spinning, <laughs> and um, I'm, I'm, I might just go for a nice walk today around the streets of Manchester. So, Vossie, you spoke about catching a train. I, I saw that you put something on Twitter about you just love oh. to be able to get a seat one day on a train. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, mate, I've got to tell you, I, I know we're here to talk sport, but just so people know, and, and look, they have got massive issues with their trains over here, cancellation strikes, snap strikes, all of that going on. Saturday night, I, uh, look, I don't know what I was thinking. I'm a, I, you know, as I said, I'm a rookie. I, I decided to catch train back from Leeds to Manchester. I, 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 I bought a, um, I thought I'll, I'll go a bit of a toff. I'll go, I'll buy a first class seat because that'll ensure I get a seat to get across. I just want to get back. You know what I mean? It's been a long day. <laughs> Man, anyone and every human on that train was blind drunk <laughs> and none of them had tickets. They, anyone went any carriage. And I thought, well, mate, I didn't even dare ask the bloke who was sitting in my seat to move that we are crammed in like, you know, you see the Japanese peak hour subway trains. <laughs> that was That was first class. I, I seriously, I just kept my head down. I said, just get me out of here. And it, it was the same again yesterday. Trains packed on weekends, cancellations. I had to get across to Warrington. 
uh, which is between Manchester and Liverpool. Um, yeah, no, it's an experience. It's part of the journey. It's part of the adventure. But um, wouldn't mind sitting down on the longer trips, yeah. And what's the standout so far as a tourist, Vossi, away from the stadiums? Or it might be a stadium, something you've visited, something you've eaten. Oh, look, oh, well, I haven't, yeah, I haven't tucked into any big meals yet. Yet to have a curry, which is, you know, on my top of my wish list, obviously. But seriously, boys, I, I actually in my life haven't attended an EPL game. Um, I went to Newcastle's home ground uh, for the tournament opener. It was one of those wow moments in your life where you, where you see something for the first time, uh, something iconic. If all the, all, and I've been to Old Trafford before and it's a wow moment in Wembley, but going into Newcastle and, um, and, and the tributes everywhere to Bobby Robson, everything is black and white. It is an incredible stadium in a, um, a very vibrant city. Uh, I was blown away by how good it is and I could only imagine what it is like full for a Premier League game. Um, no, really, you know, that, that moment being there, and England winning, of course, you know, getting into the atmosphere in a 40,000-plus crowd, but, yeah, it must be enormous when it's full for the EPL. No, I really thought that was um, that was something special. Very lucky to be there. Yeah, you're very strong on Samoa's uh, performance, and I just earlier on was, yeah, my, I think I mm. can, can, can um, concur with your thoughts as well about Samoa, about how miserable yeah. they were. And, and we keep seeing it, most tournaments with, with Samoa, just, just so disappointing with the way they keep turning up to these tournaments, yeah. Bossy. Yeah, all talk, no walk, was it? Um, you know, I'd I, I, I say it um, a little flippantly, but I'd send them home. You know, I just uh, <laughs> the the pre-match war cry is is far more passionate than anything they did then for eighty minutes. Now they can say they had some injuries, but look, I sat during the match with um, with Mike Stevenson. Um, uh, he, he was up in the stands with me watching the game at the twenty-minute mark. We both said to each other, this will be 50. That was 20 minutes into the game. Mm. You could just see that Samoa, you know, a bit of cliche, it hadn't turned up. Who knows why, for whatever reason, what have they been doing for the, for the week preparation? Now, you go back over the quotes pre-match. I mean, I, I make no apology for this, but Matt Parrish must live on another planet. I mean, he, he went into the game saying, you know, underprepared, only three training sessions. I mean, look at the, look at the playing talent you've got. Come on. I mean, Seriously, there's eight state of origin players mm. in his side, and, and was throwing that card out going into game one. I mean, talk about give your players a leave pass, and then after the game, it's one of the it's one of the strangest takes I have ever heard on a game for a coach to sit there when you want accountability and say if the match was played in 24 hours, there would be quote an entirely different result unquote. Mm. Matt, what are you talking about? What are you on? I mean, that is ridiculous. They were smashed, absolutely smashed. Yeah, I don't know if they can come back from that first loss, Vossi. Uh, Australia, they did the job against Fiji, 42 to 8 in the first game. I mean, they, they were impressive enough and trying to work out their combinations. The, the seven or eight plays yep. rested from game one will come in. Um, that means Cleary and Munster will be in the halves. Uh, Mal told Ben Davis today yep. on SENQ that Grant will start as hooker. I'm used to saying in the number nine, but he'll start as hooker. They certainly looked better with Grant playing as dummy half on, on Sunday morning our time. Oh, he was exceptional. He, he, he really was exceptional. And I love hearing the... Um, I love hearing and, you know, mixing with the fans after the games because they've, they've only seen these players on TV and they... They come away from the game. It was the same last night in Warrington. Um, you know, all the fans talking about how good Joey Manu is. It was the same in, in England. All this Harry Grant, you know, how good's he? 
Um, so no, they were very impressed with Harry Grant, and he was he was he was very good. And the Australians warmed as the contest went on. I mean, credit to Fiji. Yeah, you know, the effort Fiji put in was was light years ahead of what Samoa had done earlier in the day. Um, terrific scramble and goal line defence. If they didn't put that effort in, you know, Australia would have racked up sixty or more. But um, no, I, I thought a, a decent hit out. Mal's got the duty of giving everyone um, a game across these these first uh, week and a bit. Um, three pool games. Uh, who their quarterfinal opponent will be? Well, based on last night, I mean Lebanon. Um, and yesterday, watching Ireland, I mean, that's going to be a keen tussle. So it'll be Lebanon or Ireland, it appears, that Australia would play in the uh, quarterfinal. So really, you know, they're going to sweep through their first four games, aren't they? Let's not kid ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then go headlong into New Zealand in the semifinals. Again, stressing to our listeners, Australia cannot play New Zealand in the final. They are, they are slotted in to play each other in the semifinal, which is massive. Mm. Now... Vossi, um, in relation to pronunciations, and I thought the UK commentators were really poor yep. with the Samoan players. They didn't do any of their research, oh. and you've been outstanding over the years. Now, I noticed with the Lebanon, the Cedars game, well, I thought they were really courageous against New Zealand. Adam Duahi. So yes. moving forward, is that the way that Adam's pronounced yep. surname? No, yeah. So I can give you the whole story there. So the very first game Adam played was the Charity Shield. This is even before he'd played an NRL game. He played Charity Shield, and I be you know, I've got plenty of Lebanese friends. I, no, I, I saw the surname, and that's always been pronounced Dwayhi. Always. It is in the Lebanese community that is Dwayhi. That's how, if you go back and listen to his very first appearance, I called him Dwayhi in the Charity Shield. He informed me that week after having that first game, before he played his first NRL game, he said, no, I, it's, I want it pronounced Dewey, because that's what my father has been. Even though it's Dwayhi in the Lebanese community, my dad is Dewey. So I will respect him, and so I'm Adam Dewey. And I said, sweet. You know, you, and this is what a lot of the fans don't understand sometimes. We, we do what the players want, not necessarily what the extended family want. Well, this week, going into game one of, um, of the World Cup, he has set the record down and said, I'd like to be known as Dwayhi, which is the correct Lebanese pronunciation. So, we re- again, we respect Adam's wishes. It is Adam Dwayhi from this day forth. So, so I hope that's cleared it up. Right, Vossi, nice. uh, we're talking off the top of the show. Sats has got a mate who used to play rugby league in England, and quite often he was used as the 19th man. So he played reserve grade on the Friday night, front up on Sunday to be the yep. the uh, 19th man. Apparently the 19th man's job was to massage, to rub down the other players. Uh, we've got a text here from Steve from Dubbo. It says, Vossi sounds tense. Uh, he's in the right part of the world for a 19th man. Do you want us to send some 19th men around well, to give you a rub down, Vossi? And are you tense? Uh, no. No, the answer is no. Um, it, well, well, if you say tense, I mean, the body clock just hasn't adjusted at all. I don't think I've had longer than about four, four and a half hours sleep. Buggered. I'm absolutely buggered and would only sleep for four and a half hours. And bang, I'm up. So I haven't adapted to the cycle yet, but... Um, no, I, I do not want the 19th man having any visit. Keep the 19th man well clear of me, Sats, you, you deviant. Right, yeah, yeah, and it was Steve from Dubbo, actually. It was a real text. So, Steve, that's a thanks but no thanks, clearly from Vossi. We kicked off the show tonight. Yeah. Breaking news in Australia. Uh, Sats can't stand Sweet Caroline. He's over it. I don't know if you saw the crowd singing it before yeah. the Everest what? with 46,000 people oh. on Saturday, Vossi. What song would yeah. you replace? We've had... Sporty Gav from Newcastle suggest oh. I'm too sexy. Yeah. I don't mind that. No, 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 no. Over here, 
and it was the first song when I first get into Newcastle Stadium, every ground, the Fratellis, mate. You know, they take you to run everywhere here. Yeah, just play that. You just, it puts a smile on your face, and <laughs> it's a great song. It's a great song. So play that on your show tonight. Um, it's played everywhere here. I wish they'd have written that and be living off the royalties. <laughs> I don't know if they've got another song, to be honest. I don't know any of their other songs, but that gets an absolute workout here at every sporting venue, and the crowd love it. And yeah, it's it's, it's hard not to get caught up in that one. Yeah, I agree. I on. agree. Now, one of our one of our listeners, Crossy, just texted and said. Hate the Australian numbers. I wish they'd go back to normal. Now, as a commentator, we, we commentate games, Manly, mm. Penrith, whatever. We know yep. what the players look like. We know their number. If we can't see who they are, you look at their boot colour. It's mm. usually written next to their name. And yes. with the Saifides, that's the way that I try and yeah. uh, signify which Saifides yeah. it is. How are you going to go with these new numbers as a commentator? <laughs> you cross it yet, Vossi? Yeah. Well, well, Sats, I, well, look, I, I sat in the uh, crowd to watch the game at Headingley the other night, the Australian side, and, and I had to sort of, you know, I'm just calling the game in my head, just watching them, and I know them by face, and at Headingley's a great ground, you're close to the action, but I've got to say, I, 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 I don't know, how, how clear do the names on the back of the jerseys come up on the television? Not real I'm, I'm not really, you know, I, I said, no, that's what I mean. I, I don't think, the, is it the font? I don't think the font's right on the back of the jerseys <laughs> to have a significant... Um, it, it just, it, I, I just don't think they've thought that part of it through. If they're going to justify, well, we'll mix up the numbers, but we'll put names on the back. I'm sure the names, you know, when Sattler played Origin, I could read Sattler's name on the back a lot clearer than I can read any of the names at this World Cup. Um, look, I, I tell you what it's done. The numbering thing has proven to me the quintessential example of any publicity is good publicity. Because normally, I've covered a few World Cups in my time, fellas, there's not a lot of awareness. There's not a lot of passion around the World Cup when it starts and you sort of get interested as the tournament goes on. That number fiasco gave more publicity for any World Cup I've previously covered. So people suddenly knew it was on and were talking about it. So I'm putting a positive spin on, on what is, I believe, a negative. I'm, I'm not a fan of it at all, and I don't see how that educates the fans having that numbering that are new to the game. I would rather they compare sevens and ones and, and know that that's how rugby league is. They're the positions, and, and you make that comparison. We've got it on the big screen in the studio right now, Sats, and it's still hard to see. I think they need to make the, the names bigger. Yep. Uh, they forgot to use bold yeah. Uh, on the uh, Excel spreadsheet. And yes. I'm thinking maybe Times New Roman would be a nice <laughs> font, uh, Vossi. And it yes. makes it a little bit more comical, doesn't it? Yes, right. Mm. Well, well, that's right. So there you go. I, I really don't, you know, you've, you've solved the problem there. Um, that, you know, invoice them. Invoice them to that um, expertise, that consultancy that you've just done there. That's, that's great. I, I will say this. Um, the crowd's disappointing. And that's, that's a talking point here um, this morning. And, Looking at social media, I have had a number of fans come up to me and they're talking in relation to the final when the World Cup was last year and I was here in 2013, a ticket for the final £60, the same ticket this year. And I know it is nine years on, but it's £152. And given some grim uh, cost of living news over here, I mean, they're in an absolute mess, the government. Um, They've changed their, well, the equivalent of the Australian Treasurer over the weekend. Um, and, and, you know, they're, they're, they're headed into recession. That sort of increase isn't sitting well. So, you know, and I think it has had an impact on these uh, prelim games, uh, albeit it was different opposition. But I called New Zealand v Samoa in Warrington nine years ago when they filled the joint, 15,000. 
last night New Zealand v Lebanon, not with the, quite the same support, obviously, as Samoa, but, but to um, get less than half that crowd... Um, you know, you, you got you can't ignore it. You can't you can't ignore it. There's obviously something they need to look at their pricing and and get the fans in. All right, Andrew Voss uh, from Vossie and Brandy for breakfast on SCN and also from Fox Sports. We appreciate your time, mate. Go um, and have a curry. Yeah, and a crumpet. Go and have a crumpet for breakfast, mate. Yeah, I need a curry. Yeah. Thanks for your time, mate. Uh, yes, no, I might go to Greg's Pastry House uh, for breakfast. Thank you. Lovely being on the program and. Uh, France v Greece tonight in Doncaster, and I'm calling Tonga v PNG tomorrow in St Helens. So I can't wait for that one. Good on you, Vossi. Take care, mate. Will do. This is Off the Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. I'm very excited to have this guest uh, on the show tonight, Sats. You, you and Gary Belcher uh, spoke to him... Oh, Last year, uh, his book came out called Cheat, which was just the cheats, great cheating moments in sporting history. He's now got a podcast out, and it is – we've talked about it. You and I talk about it each week. Have you listened to the latest episode? And Gary (laughs) Belcher still doesn't even know where to get a podcast from. So we're working on that still. But, yeah, it's it's a show that Titus O'Reilly does with Mick Malloy. It's called Sports Bazaar. Uh, Get it from wherever you get your podcast from. And I tell you what – some of these cheating scandals and sporting moments throughout history are absolutely bizarre. Titus, joining us now on Sports Day. G'day, Titus. Oh, good to be with you. Mate, we love this podcast, and I think Mick's a good foy for you as well. Although, is he, is he actually drinking during the podcast, Mick? It sounds like he's having a refreshing ale or two. <laughs> no, I think he does. that's his natural sound, I think. Uh, years of doing it... And- who, who knows with him and I? It's, it's possible we are. It all blurs into one when we're together, I have to say. Now, you form a great partnership. You're the researcher and the storyteller. He seems to be this the clown sitting in the corner just waiting for his uh, left-of-centre opinions. But he's also the sports fan, right? Exactly. Mad sports fan. But um, where's the history come from with you and Mick? Has it, has it been a long association and relationship? Yeah, we've known each other for a long time. And we've done the, the front bar together in the past. And then often I be on radio and you know we'd we'd get together and i'd tell him these stories and he'd he'd say you know we'd have a break to do it in and at the end he'd say that can't all be true and i'd say well you wouldn't believe that's only like a quarter of the whole story and so we started to say well maybe we could do a podcast where we we get into the details and the idea is we don't care what sport it is it's just got to be a completely crazy story and uh, the sports world has no shortage. It's a renewable resource. I didn't realise that sports was this bizarre. 16 episodes to date, uh, all sports around the world. Even if there's sports, certain sports you don't like, there's always a story behind um, the different weird circumstances that will will entertain you. Now, originally, was a moment, one particular moment in sport that you always found just ridiculously weird that inspired the storytelling? Yeah, I think the, the most bizarre one that... You know, when I wrote my book, Cheat, it was the one that really just blew my mind was in the 2000 Paralympics when the Spanish team in intellectually disabled basketball decided it would be easy to win if they got people to just who were good at basketball and got them to pretend to be intellectually disabled, mm. which you know, that, that requires some, some real moral gymnastics to sort of do that. And I just thought... It, that's when it occurred to me that there's no sport in the world 
that people won't cheat at. I mean, you can kind of understand cheating in the Tour de France. You become a, a multi-millionaire and get to date Gerald Crow. Um, <laughs> it's not the same in the Paralympics. <laughs> well, I tell you, some of the some of the great stories that you've covered off already. I'm uh, just going back through them. Uh, there's the the players that swap wives. There's the early years of the Tour de France where competitors are catching trains. Uh, there's the doping, of course, in the Tour de France. Nancy Kerrigan and Tonya Harding. Just give us a bit of like you think of that one. And go, oh yeah, that's the was crime the of the century. This one. Kneecapping. <laughs> Jeez, there were some big brains behind this one, wasn't there, <laughs> Titus? Oh, it, the the guys that did the actual kneecapping and the way they organised it, it was like a Cohen Brothers movie. It was so you know crazy. I mean, the guy the guy that actually did the kneecapping, a guy by the name of Shane Stan, he stayed the night before in a hotel, basically across the road road from the arena, using his actual name and using his own credit card to hire an adult movie that night, which made it easy. And then he entered the arena. And minutes before kneecapping Nancy Kerrigan, he forgot what she looked like <laughs> and went up to someone and said, could you please point out who Nancy <laughs> Kerrigan is, Toopy? <laughs> Leaving an absolute witness for, you know, within moments before later he does it. And someone said, did anyone see anything? Yeah, that guy was asking. And then he, the day before he'd sort of mapped out his exit. And <laughs> the problem was his exit this time when he, when he did it was... Uh, it was a locked plexiglass door, so he couldn't get out that way. So he headbutted his way through the plexiglass door almost and crawled through it and was so dazed from doing it. He then ran the wrong way from the getaway car that was waiting for him. And the getaway car had to chase him down. <laughs> and they they were caught within about two, two days by the FBI because they someone recorded recorded uh, them um, them planning it and then they were going to record it to blackmail the other guys later but they were bragging to people about doing it and playing them the tape which led to an FBI tip-off. Now what what brought this to my attention your wonderful podcast <laughs> Sats came into work one day he said oh, I've just listened to this podcast with Titus it's about the worst event in Olympic history and it was the 1904 Olympics in St. Louis, Missouri uh, where the games went for six months. <laughs> it's not like the you know the two weeks that we get now, but the marathon, the marathon. There wasn't even a course set out, was there? There was, there were there were athletes having a sleep in an apple orchard and still finishing fourth in this marathon. Competitors being tra- chased off course by wild dogs. <laughs> Take us through this this marathon event at the worst yeah. Olympics. Well, well, they ran it in the afternoon, which they don't do anymore because it was only the, the, the third time they'd had a marathon and it was 36 degrees and they ran it and they decided to not allow water except for two spots across the whole course. <laughs> and they also didn't shut down any of the roads. So they all had to run around cars and horses and all sorts of things. And like you said, one guy stopped in an apple orchard because he hadn't eaten before the race and had an apple and it was not right. So he felt not too good so he laid down and had a sleep he still got up later and came forth um one of the guys that did win it one guy jumped in a car and arrived at the stadium and everyone assumed and he got out and ran into the stadium and everyone assumed he'd won and he pretended to go along with it until someone pointed out he'd been in a car and then the guy that won they actually gave um strychnine and brandy now, strychnine being the poison they gave him that and it was the first case of doping in the olympics and when he crossed the line, he 
fell down and they had to work on him for four hours to bring him back to consciousness. So it was just an absolute mess. And like you said, one guy got chased a mile off off course by wild dogs because <laughs> there was no one, there was no organisation whatsoever. Titus, <laughs> so, what? So it was just... Just an absolute mess at every level. Why did those Olympics go in, in 1904? Why did they go six months? Well, they went six months because that and the Paris one, which is 19, no, 1900, they're, they're known as the farcical Olympics because they both were alongside the World Fair. So they both went for six months. And the Paris one had hot air ballooning uh, with how far you could go in a hot air balloon. <laughs> And one French guy flew from Paris and the winds took him and he landed in Russia. <laughs> and it was promptly arrested by the Russian police because he didn't have a visa. And he had his wife with him and they were thrown into the police station and the police station were giving them water. And he said to the police, you know, in the balloon, I've got a crate of French champagne. And they said, oh, that'd be terrific. So they sat around and drank the French champagne with him while his wife rolled them cigarettes, waiting for the authorities to give him the clear to go back to Paris. Incredible. Look, before we let you go, I'm going to see if there's any new, there's some possible new topics for you to look into, including cheating in fishing. Can you believe it or not? But my, I'm going to channel my inner Mick here, the monkey <laughs> testicle doping scandal. What was going on in Europe in in the 30s with and, and 40s with, with, with this monkey testicle doping? Well, there was this scientific study going on for years that you could basically grind up monkey testicles. Uh, I never thought I'd be saying this on the radio. And... Uh, <laughs> and inject it into people and it would get revitalised them and give them this strength. And so it, it, it caught on. It was huge in soccer. There were whole, you know, one of the FA Cups became known, both teams were known to be on it, and it was known as the Monkey Testicle Cup, <laughs> which uh, better than any branding we have these days for sporting <laughs> events. Um, and it was, just, it was just one of the weirdest things they ever did. And the, and the funny thing is the only reason it stopped is World War II breaks out. Um, they were meant to be investigated for it, and they did, everyone just forgot it had ever happened. And, uh, it, it went on for years. Absolutely amazing. Not not something I really want to try, I have to say. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you very much for joining us. And also, if you want to catch Titus, you can see him Tuesday nights on the cheap seats. Outstanding show as well. Titus O'Reilly, Sports Bazaar. Thanks for joining us on Sports Day. Great. Thanks for having me. This is Off the Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off the Bench NRL. One of the greatest cricket journalists to ever live. Mm. Uh, he's joining us now on Sports Day. We refer to him as the first, the number one journalist in world cricket, Crash Craddock, joining us now for the Koori Mail on Sports Day. G'day, Crash. Uh, g'day, Jason. Scott Gosseth, which must have had another guest on, mate. I was thinking, <laughs> I wonder who they've got on. This guy would be worth listening to. <laughs> now, Crash, before we get into cricket, and there's plenty going on, you just be... You'd be champing at the bit at the moment with cricket. Are you still biting those fingernails of yours? <laughs> yes. If you could see them now, Sats, yes. Barely uh, at age 60, mate, there's not much left of me, you know, <laughs> on top of my head. The only growth is the hair in my ears, mate. You know, mm. that's how I'm going. That's how bad I'm doing, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I look forward to getting hair in my ears. That's the only place I haven't got it coming out of at the moment, Crash. Jeez, um, I tell you what, it's been a, a massive week uh, for Australian sport, particularly around sponsorship. We had the, of course, the Diamonds netball team, the Australian team, players coming out with regards to Gina Reinhart's support 
of, mm. of that side, mm. not just re- regarding comments by – disgusting comments by a father back in 1984, but the fact that it's a mining company uh, and it goes against their moral beliefs. We've now uh, – Pat Cummins is, is being quite vocal on his thoughts on climate change. Alinta Energy mm. have now decided to withdraw their sponsorship from Cricket Australia and put it into another area. And, and they're saying it's got nothing to do with Pat's – Comments, and we, we have to we have to believe that. But this afternoon, um, crash. Adam Zampa has said uh, he supports his skipper Pat Cummins on climate change. He said, "I think there's going to be a collaborative approach between the players and Cricket Australia and sponsors." But that's probably all I can really comment. Crash, are we at the stage now where the players are going back to having too much power? And really, we've got to get the players' approval, perhaps, to see who sponsors the cricket team moving forward. Yeah, look, it's a great question, Jason, and it's one that uh, I constantly ponder. And uh, you must remember, though, that players have to wear it. They have to they have to uh, wear the sponsors' logos. So it's tacit endorsement of, of everything, isn't it? If you put someone's gear on, and for, for, for decades, I feel that there's been times when clubs have just proceeded with sponsorship deals without worrying who it might offend. So. There is a, a sweet spot in the middle, and it's very hard to find. It really is. But, you know, how far do you go with sponsorship? I mean, KFC sponsor the Big Bash. You know, that's a uh, you know a takeaway food outlet in a country concerned about obesity, selling it to kids. And, and you know, that's they, they're very generous and good sponsors. But, you know, I've had people ring me up and complain about that. And, and I get that. I, I get the whole narrative of having betting companies uh, sponsor a lot of things and so where does it end that's the thing because so often jason the companies with the money are the ones with uh, you know you can quite often have the, you know the, the the moral challenges let's just put it that way mm. now crash with what's been you know been portrayed in the media over the last 24 hours and everyone's got an opinion 95 percent of australian cricket fans and sporting fans think this is absolutely ridiculous but it's obviously the way of the world now and the pool of commercial partners and sponsors is so small in australia when it comes to sponsoring sport how do they navigate their way through this cricket australia well it's i think cricket australia will be fine because they're a, they're a big sport and a national sport, and they'll get through. It's the, it's the smaller sports like netball, who if Gina Reinhart withdrew her $14 million endorsement of them, who, who fills that breach? Mm. You tell me. And, and netballers I've spoken to have said that, you know, the team is, is sort of 50-50 on it. Like they, they, don't, they went out in sympathy with the teammate who felt awkward about the comments of Gina Reinhart's father. And then they never sort of thought it'd be the issue it was. Well, but, you know, and, and you can't take the stand and then take the money, can you, really? If, if you're true to yourself, you can't sort of say, we don't want your name in our uniforms, but we'll keep the $14 million, thanks very much. So, look, it, it's very tricky ground. It, it really, really is. And I think this story will get bigger before it gets smaller. Will there be some sports, you think, Crash, if they take this angle, that they become a poison chalice to some Commercial um, partners where they say, listen, we just yeah, need to stay away. Let's go look at a sport where we're not going to get so many negative headlines. Well, let's put it this way, Scott. I understand that there are people at Linter Energy who are really disappointed in the Australian cricket team uh, because they said, gosh, we jumped on board with you and stuck with you after Sandpaper Gate. 
when many sponsors wouldn't. We stuck with you through COVID when many sponsors wouldn't. So, you know, they, they were very loyal to Cricket Australia. So they're having their brand. Oh, I'm not saying trashed. I'm saying tarnished and smudged. And, and you can do without that when you put as much into the game as what they have. I kind of feel sorry for the sponsors in this sense. I mean, Gina Reinhart, uh, absolutely, who's given, I think, crashed something like over $300 million towards Australian sport and has never asked for anything in return. And I, I, I kind of go, geez, I think it's a bit tough. And, and same with the Linda Energy. I, I can't see... I can't see what they've done wrong. So I'm kind of almost taking the no, the, the no. side of the sponsor in, in both of these circumstances. Yeah, it, 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 it's a very good point, Jason. It's a very, very good point you make. And, and I think, you know, like, as I said in the story today, one, one sport's princess is another's pariah, isn't it? Yeah. Like uh, swimming, and I, I, I covered the uh, – I was at the – parents get together at, at Noosa when the Australian team was in Tokyo. The swimming parents all got together at a hotel in Noosa and stayed up there for five nights. Gina Reinhart was there for five nights. She mixed, mixed really comfortably with the parents. There was no ego. If you just said, who's Gina Reinhart in here and you didn't know her face, there was nothing that said she was a famous person in that room. She was just mixing and mingling, as likely to talk to the battlers as a really well-known parent. So yeah. she, she, and as you said, it's a very good point, Jason. She asked for nothing back. So, but I do think this, I do think this, I think moving forward, I'll be interested to see whether at some stage she comments on and distances herself from her father's remarks. Yeah. I think that'd be, she doesn't have to do that, but I think it would help the situation in the future. Like why she says nothing. It's sort of, I'm not saying it's tacit endorsement of those horrendous marks he made, but it would certainly help if she sort of said, look, those remarks remained by my father and I had nothing to do with them. And I, I love indigenous sport and boom, boom, boom. That's probably all it needs. Yeah. 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 True. That's well, well said crash. Let's move ahead to the cricket. How good is Saturday going to be? SCG, full house, old foes, the Aussies and the Kiwis doing battle in their first T20 matches of the World Cup. Yeah, Australia's normally got New Zealand's number in big games. It's funny, this big big brother, little brother thing surfaces. And, uh, you know, I, I think it'll surface again if the weather permits. Um, New Zealand can beat pretty much anyone else, but they do struggle against Australia. <laughs> The big moment for me by a thousand miles is when Trent Bolt, that mesmeric New Zealand left armour, takes the new ball and he said, right, I'm going to swing an in-swinger into Aaron Finch's pads, three of them in a row he'll get, and I'm going to try and get him LBW. Does Finch have the batting technique at the moment to cope with those late-swinging, pad-seeking missiles? (laughs) Hey, Crash, uh, with all what's been happening over the last 24 hours with the, the sponsorship of Quick Cricket Australia, it's probably taken a fair bit of the focus away of how poorly they've been playing in the lead-up to their first game in the World Cup. Do you, are you concerned about their form mm. leading into the World Cup or do you think they're comfortable where they are and they've just been experimenting? Yeah. Yeah, a bit of both, Sats. One thing I will say is I'm not sure you want to be too perfect too early, if you know what I mean. Like yeah. you 
it's a bit like the kangaroos. You, 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 want, you want that feeling that your side is refining itself. Now, there's not too many moving parts in the Australian cricket team. Steve Smith all played a minimal role in the tournament, I think. He's been squeezed out by Tim David. And, yeah, there'll be little changes. Um, they, they've lost three games relatively narrowly, uh, including a trial game. I, I like the feel of their team. I do. They're a very, very old team. You know, like, goodness me, I think the baby of the team's Tim David. Is it at 27? Who else have we got that's younger than him? I'll have to think. Yeah, well, I can't but, think uh, of yeah. When they won the World Cup, when they won the World Cup last year, incredibly, the youngest player in the team was Pat Cummins. Yeah, that's incredible, yeah. isn't it? Now, um, how will the Cricket Australia, do you think, or how have they reacted to Aaron Finch saying that he thinks the players may be tired when you're leading into a World Cup crash? <laughs> Extraordinary statement, wasn't it? And not just leading into World Cup sats, but this is October, mm. you, you know? It, 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 <laughs> it's, it, it's like saying that a rugby league player is tired in March, you know? Um, but uh, one thing I will say is uh, yeah, that was referring to Glenn Maxwell and some of these players, and they're, they're pretty much citizens of the world these days, and seasons don't really matter. They just go from T20 tournament to another, and, and um, so you never quite know where a guy's head in head is. I know they're worried about Maxwell. They just feel he's gone off the boil. Um, you know, I, I just he had a few reasonable shots at the Gabba the other day, but where's his head? It'd be interesting to see. Yeah. Hey, Crash, before we let you go, uh, the ODI captaincy, um, uh, Cummins has put his hand up for it, concerning that there is a lack of leadership on offer uh, in the ODI team. I I guess the standout for me is Dave Warner. Why didn't Cricket Australia, four years on from Sandpaper Gate, why didn't they consider him to be the ODI captain? Because they haven't changed their code of conduct, which allows him to appeal against his life sentence, have a hearing with him where he pleads that he is now an improved person. So I felt it was a pretty token gesture. You know, like they rushed, I think, the Cummins appointment through, mainly because the Warner thing was bubbling up and sort of bubbling out of control. It was There was so little happening elsewhere that it was the main story in cricket day after day. So I think they thought, let's jump on this. Let's appoint Cummins. They will lift the Warner ban, I think, uh, in the next month or so. But what's he got to aim for? Not much. Mm. The prize he wanted is gone now. Uh, Cummins is a pretty good decision, I think. He'll be they'll captain by committee. Steve Smith will rally around him. And indeed, will Warner. But I do know this. David Warner is very upset about it. So interesting times ahead. Radio uh, Crash, we love chatting to you all the time. As we say, you are the number one cricket journalist on Sports Day and in Australia. Uh, Mate, we appreciate your time, and thanks again for joining us on Sports Day. No, thanks for having me on, guys. Always enjoy it. Thanks a lot. See you, Seth. See you, Jason. Bye. This is Off The Bench NRL. We'll be back soon. Welcome back. This is Off The Bench NRL. Time for a racing update for Racing Queensland. Queensland is your place to race this year. Right now, though, Queensland is your place to race this year. Uh, Chris Nelson, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, you might be mm-hmm. hosting uh, Sports Day with Gary Belcher and Scott Sattler could become our racing expert. He's just walked in today just rattling off all this Kingston Town stuff. It's incredible. He's uh, 
He's been doing his homework, hasn't he? I'm very, yep. very uh, impressed with the homework that he's been doing. Obviously, he's got spring carnival fever. I'm excited this week about all the racing around Queensland. As you know, I love my regional tracks. Um, and it's all yep. I suppose it's all revolving around the, the big race at Mooney Valley, isn't it? The Cox Plate. It's, uh, yep. it's one of the biggest events on the calendar. But where are we racing this weekend in Queensland, Nelson? Sats, we are racing at uh, Mackay tomorrow. Oh. Uh, I don't think that'll have any issues going ahead, that meeting. Uh, we're racing at the Sunshine Coast tomorrow evening. We're racing at Doombin on Saturday, the Gold Coast on Saturday, uh, Toowoomba on Saturday and Townsville on Saturday and the Sunshine Coast on Sunday. They are the TAB meetings, but there's also the Clifton Cup, the Gympie Cup. That'd be a good day out. Uh, we're racing at Gladstone, maybe. They've had a lot of rain there. Isisford. Oh, actually, there's a couple of uh, cancellations. I think Isisford and St George have gone by the wayside due right. to the weather. So, and that's what we're going to have to keep our eye on as we uh, get closer to the weekend. Uh, there's a lot more rain due probably from tonight right through to Sunday. Now, when they get to the the far side of the track where there's not a lot of lighting on those twilight races, Nelson, do the horses are some horses scared of the dark? <laughs> I'm not really sure because they never answer that question when I ask them. Okay. That. So I, I don't really know if they could only talk. Mm. But uh, I, I, look, I did speak to a trainer one day and ask if there was a difference, you know, between racing uh, at night time and racing in the daytime with some of the horses. And he did say, yeah, some of them don't like racing at night. They yeah, much, rather, they much is, prefer racing during the daytime. Yeah, and I'd probably say yeah. six hours <laughs> would be the other thing. That would be the difference, wouldn't it? <laughs> My God. All right, give so, us your yeah, tips. No, I don't know. All right, here we go. Now, I don't know how far we'll get with this meeting at Doom, and with the rain, we're on a soft seven already, and we're supposed to get a lot more. So we'll go with race five, number eight, Fetch, who is racing very well, and she's a mare from the O'Day Hoistead stable who loves the wet ground. I think she'll be too good for her rivals. And race six, number four, Hatchet, for Rob Heathcote. Good run a couple of weeks ago, first up. Just a little bit easy in the market late. Probably suggested that uh, he might have needed that run. And he's two from two on soft ground. He hasn't seen anything worse as yet. So I'll stick with those two, but uh, it's a bit of a guessing game at this stage. Race five, number eight. Race six, number four for Doombin Saturday. Who's the leading trainer in Queensland at the moment, Nelson? The same one as for the past eight years, Sachs. Do you want me to give you any more clues? Tell me. Well, tell the listeners. His first name is Tony and his second Gollum. name is Gollum. Yeah. Okay. Is there, is there another question? No, that was it. He, is that it? That was it. I just thought there might have been a challenge to him, but he's been quite dominant for quite oh, a while, hasn't Chris he? Wallers, um, he has been last eight years. Chris Waller's uh, got a good stable on the Gold Coast. He's certainly uh, up there, and Rob Heathcote's up there, but Tony Gollan has he's a not, lot of horses. He's not Queensland. And a he's lot a of Kiwi. Women. Who? Waller. Chris Waller. Oh, yeah, well, that's right. He is, too. Yeah, he is. He is I, a Kiwi. I'd hate to break up this. Who's the, who's the leading trainer? <laughs> Leading, yes, that's right. I hate to break up this party, but can we go? <laughs> oh, sorry, it's not about you. It's not about Jason. <laughs> that's sorry, I'll call you after the show. Yeah, thank you. Queensland is racing. The action <laughs> continues this week across the Sunshine State. Visit racingqueensland.com.au. Chris, what do they sell more of, pies or sausage rolls at Doombin? <laughs> You'd know. Hot dogs. <laughs> I, deserve, I deserve that. Uh, <laughs> see you, Nelson. <laughs> See you guys. Rightio, that's it for Off the Bench for another week. Sports Day back Monday night with myself and Sats as we uh, wrap up another big weekend at the Rugby League World Cup and also the Cricket World Cup. How did the Aussies go against the Kiwis uh, Saturday night? 
Uh, we'll cover that on Monday. We'll catch you then. Uh, see you next week. Bye-bye.